listening to Bleeding Page Podcast. Join authors Chad Lutsky and Jason Brandt as they delve into writing and publishing the dark side of fiction. Chad, it's been Jason. a couple weeks. Dude, it has, and it's partly my fault, mainly yours probably, because I get the guests and fault. you don't do any. It's so, true. I guess it's both, <laughs> both of our faults. Not, I'm not going to deny it. I don't, I don't reach out to anybody. Uh, but we had a good one this week. I just had a lot yeah, of fun with this conversation. Yeah, we did. It, it was, uh, it was, I've known Jay for a while. It was great hanging out with him again. It's been a little bit. Um, can't remember the last time I talked to him face-to-face. But uh, it was a lot of fun, man. Jay's a good dude. Good writer. I, I would encourage you to. We talk a lot about his podcast, uh, his what eighteenth podcast or whatever, uh, Writers Inc. that he does with Zach Bohannon, which we've had on here, and JD mm-hmm. Barker, which hopefully we will have on here one day. Um, talk a lot about that. I would encourage you to go listen to that. Uh, very very cool podcast. Um, Jay's got a lot of uh, nonfiction writing that he's doing. He's been doing the last couple of years, and he's continuing to do. Um, he's, uh, as you called it, like a trailblazer, I guess. Yeah. He, this one wasn't about writing and selling fiction so much as just an entrepreneurial mindset. I think is yeah. how I put it. He definitely is all over the map. He, he's got a million projects going and I, I could relate to that because I haven't written nearly as much lately either. I've been the one other stuff so I could relate. And it was just interesting kind of picking his brain about how he decides to do things, how he gets things going. It's just, he's kind of all over the place and I dug it. This was a, this was a really great conversation. Yeah. And he and I have been in the same orbit when we were writing a lot, but I had never actually interacted with him, but I saw him, you know, on Twitter and Facebook and stuff all the time. So it was good talking to him. Yeah, it was, it was cool. It's, it's a lot of people don't understand uh, that any, you know, uh, Amazon could make some kind of change, assuming, you know, like, let's say you're just strictly self-publishing and you're, and you're, and you're uh, you know, exclusive with Amazon, that they could do, make some kind of change. And, um, or even we talked, you know, and then things are way different. Your monthly inc- income is way different. I mean, we even touched a little bit on uh, having uh, the rug pulled out from under you uh, with no explanation given that Amazon tends to do once in a while. And if you're making, if you're relying uh, for your monthly income to, you know, feed yourself and your family and they do that, then you're screwed. And so not just about going wide, but about just taking your skills and uh, dipping your feet anywhere you can. Yeah. Which I think is good advice. I mean, if you're killing it, you know, with your writing, totally makes sense to go all in and, but you know, sure. Having different income streams is not a bad idea. Yeah. So Jay is an author of several post-apocalyptic and dark fantasy series, as well as a handful of nonfiction books, like I was talking about, like the Three Story Method would be one of them. He's got like some workbooks and uh, I think three books in that little you know nonfiction series. Uh, if you haven't read him before, you've probably listened to one of the many pa- podcasts that he's had over the years, which cover everything from writing horror to music to entrepreneurship and even being an introvert. Uh, he co-hosts his his most recent podca- podcast, Writers Inc., with J.D. Barker and Zach Bohannon, where he's had the opportunity to interview people like Dean Koontz. Uh, I think they did Chuck Palahniuk, uh, Nicholas Sparks, James Patterson, and even Matthew McConaughey. 
So check oh, that out. Matthew McConaughey on? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go check that podcast out. Check out uh, what Jay has to offer on Amazon. And uh, But now, listen to us. Uh, talk to him. Get a lot written today? Yes. Jay, I've known you for what 2014, 2015, I think. It's been it's been years now, man. Yeah. It seems like yesterday, but uh, it's been a while. I was trying to think of how we even met, and I can't remember. And I'm if I had to guess, I maybe reached out to you when you were doing the Horror Writers podcast. That would be my guess, and I started that in 2014, so that would have been about right. Okay. Okay, that makes sense. And I think it was when you were doing it with the, uh, we we were just trying to, I don't remember the guy's name, the guy with, that used to wear the sunglasses. I, I can't remember his name. Oh, uh, Richard Brown. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. And I, after that, you were doing, you know, you did it with Zach. And then I remember you doing the Dark Arts Theater. And the reason why I bring that up is because, you know, it's cool. Like with, with social media, when you get to know somebody um, on here, you watch them. I mean, I can't count how many times i've seen somebody find a girlfriend get married have a kid see the kid grow up and now they're like seven or whatever you know it's it's very bizarre and then you've never met them but you get kind of get this strange satisfaction at watching someone uh you know grow or or excel in whatever it is that they're doing or or have you know having life-changing events uh, you know for, for positive ones and dark arts theater you were doing in that, and I remember years ago at the time, you were freaking out because you got permission from Clive Barker to use something he'd written, and it seemed like such a milestone at the time. But compared to what you've been doing since then, especially in the last you know two three years, uh, it barely ranks anymore. And I just so so congratulations. <laughs> uh, well, thanks, man. I, I don't know. It's still a milestone for me. I still. Uh... I still listen to that every, every now and then, but yeah, it, you know, you, I, I think if you stick around long enough, you know, you end up make, taking some lucky shots here and there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, I think, you know, now I hear your voice as you're, as you're and on podcasts, as you're talking to Dean Koontz and Nicholas Sparks and, and your buddies with JD, JD Barker. And it's like, that's what I mean. It's like, yeah, you got some, you know, written permission to use this thing, but now you're hanging out with these guys. I mean, who gets a Dean Koontz uh, interview anymore? You know? <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I got to give props to JD. He, uh, he, he's the guy with the connections, man. He's got people in his phone that I, I just kind of scratch my head. I'm like, you're texting who? Like, yeah. uh, you know, um, and, uh, you know, and I know like for some of the interviews he'll work on, like he worked on Koontz for years Mm. Um, you know, and he, he does, he's very, um, he's very delicate with it. You know, he's not heavy handed, sure. but he just, he just picks away at people and eventually they give in and say yes. Which is ironic considering, uh, early in his career, he was heading to Stephen King's house to, <laughs> to pitch him a manuscript. So that that's about as heavy handed as you can get, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, JD, whether it's his personality or or his Aspergers, you know, he's he's just very direct on yeah. everything. You know, like it's just uh, he he doesn't like he doesn't mince words. He doesn't waste words. He just like he just says what he means, and and that's that. Yeah, yeah. I'm, <clears throat> pardon me. I'm actually kind of fascinated by him because I've never, um. I didn't know of him even before uh, the podcast. 
Um, I think I, 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 we're, I think we're friends on Facebook. He was following me on Twitter. And, uh, so I, I think he just, you know, follows as many writers as he, as he probably can for, you know, you never know who you're going to want to network with. But, um, then I started hearing him, uh, talk about some of his history and stuff. And I think it was, um, and I thought, man, this guy is like fascinating. I want to be, I would love to be friends with this guy. You guys are, I'm so jealous. Uh, just seems like a really cool guy. Got a, a lot of cool stories to tell. And then I heard him on, uh, I think it was Zach's podcast. Um, and he said some stuff on there. I was like, whoa, dude, I could talk to this guy for hours. He <laughs> was talking about hanging out with, getting advice for, from Madonna and all this, and driving these people around and all this crazy stuff. And then like selling all his stuff. And it's like, and then the whole, you know, Bram Stoker stuff. Yeah, he's got some crazy stuff to talk about. Dude, he does. Uh, I, do you know the 21 <laughs> Jump Street story? Um, I don't think so. <laughs> Jason's shaking <laughs> his head. All right. This is the best. Anytime Zach and I, Zach and JD and I are together, we'll start saying something. And JD will be like, oh, I was, I did that one time. And Zach and I will look at each other and we're like, of course he did. Mm-hmm. And like... You know, if you were in a bar having beers with people, you'd be like, this guy's full of shit. Like, there's, yeah. there's no way, right? So I forget what we were talking about, Johnny Depp or something. And uh, and JD's like, oh, yeah, I was on 21 Jump Street. We're like, okay, hold up. Time out. <laughs> you know? And, and he goes, and he tells the story like he was, uh, I don't know, he was 19 or 20 and they were filming in the, the movie in Florida or something. And, he ended up being an extra and he had like a non-speaking part. He was on screen for like three seconds and we're like, come on, JD. And then like a week later, he digs out this, you know, photograph or the still of him, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, in the movie. So he's got like, he comes out with these stories and and, and now we're just like, well, yeah, of of course, like, of of course he did, you know, (laughs) like he, he he took, he he took Madonna back and forth to the airport for a few weeks on tour. Yeah, of course, of course, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) How how did he end up in the movie? He was he was work he living in Florida. He was I don't know if he was working in a theme park, but he was like he was kind of hanging out with um like people who were in the industry. Like here's another thing. I don't know if you guys know this. He started a fanzine with Brian Warner. The name now, does that name ring a bell? No. Brian Warner, Brian Warner. Uh, also known as Marilyn Manson. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus. Whoa, what? What? Yeah. They, like, early in the, like, the late 80s, early 90s, they had some, like, underground music fanzine, and uh, and he was writing articles with, with Marilyn Manson. <laughs> so it's like, you get, like, yeah, these stories come up, and you're like, whoa. And, like, and Jay's, he, he's, he'll says, he says this all the time. He's like, yeah, I've had a strange life, man. He's like, I, I don't know how I end up in these situations. He's like, I've had weird things happen to me. That's wild. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And now he's, yeah, writing with Patterson and, and, uh, Stoker and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy stuff. But so, anyway, this isn't about him. This, sorry. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> the first 10 minutes. About weird segue. About yeah. Um, but, uh, okay. So, um, I, I've known you long enough to see you go from uh, speaking of like watching someone excel, uh, have from having a handful of books out to to being able to quit your job and make writing your full time career. Um, the the first few years that you were doing that, you were really prolific and you were putting you know several books out a year, uh, many of them co written with with Zach uh, Bohannon. 
Um, but you slowed down quite a bit since then. Um, but only with, you know, really self-publishing dark fiction. I know you've been putting out nonfiction stuff like your three-story method. And um, is, was that decision from getting burned out or is just that, because I know you like to constantly, um, you know, not stop it. Like, okay, this is my thing. This is, I'm going to self-publish. I was looking at other like uh, avenues um, to either spread the word about this or to, you know, anything that kind of like touches that. So again, was it just you getting burned out or is that just part of you, you know, looking at a bigger picture and, and kind of constantly involving? Yeah, man, that's a, um, it's an interesting question. And, and I'm trying to think about how to answer it. Um, I have definitely written less fiction over the past couple of years than I did in say the early 2010s. Mm-hmm. And um, part of it was I, uh, I went in a different direction than you did. And I think I've come full circle to where you are now, which is kind of interesting. Um, so I started in, in 2010, 2011, 2012, I was very much in the, um, the formulaic approach to genre fiction on Amazon, right? So it's like you identify the sub niche and then you write to that audience and you write um, one series and you put like 50 books in that series and you pump those things out like once or twice a month. And I never got to that level of proficiency. I think that's very few people do. It's, it's very, it's a very unrealistic expectation, mm-hmm. but I think after a few years and a lot of those books I did with Zach, um, I just, part of me just didn't find it as interesting anymore. Like I just, I felt like I was, I was like writing myself into a corner and, and I, and you and I had conversations and I was like, dude, if you want to sell commercial, you're going to have to pick a genre and you're going to have to write yeah. one particular kind of story. And, and like, I don't regret what I did, but like now I totally get where you're at. I understand completely why you did that. And I think that's why you have continued to, be steady and consistent writing the kind of stories you want to write. Whereas I kind of burnt out on the kind of stories I was telling. So I'm, I'm kind of in a, in a, in a strange place right now in that I'm not really sure what my future in fiction is going to look like. As you mentioned, Mm -hmm. I've I've continued to write a lot of nonfiction and I really enjoy that, but I don't think I want to go back into that sort of algorithmic rat race where I'm constantly like feeding Amazon, you know? Right, sorry. Was that yeah, running Paul, with the devil? I just I was heard? gonna say you got Paul Stanley in the studio there, or what? Yeah, was it? that's uh, David Lee Roth. Yeah, that's <laughs> been my uh, notification thing for years, and I love it. I recognize that scream anywhere. <laughs> yeah, it was running from the running with the devil. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so you you're not sure where your fiction career is headed? Yeah, you know I'm. Right now, I, I'm I'm kind of hit pause on it. Um, I have a back catalog. It you know it it sells meagerly. It's not I, I don't I'm a full time writer, but I don't I don't make my full time living off royalties. And again, there are two two people in my entire life, and one of them is JD Barker, who I know who who makes a living on royalties from fiction only. Yeah. Everybody else has some sort of author services, a side hustle, a day job. Uh, whatever you want to call it. So that, that I'm going to bust that myth wide open, but yeah, I, I don't know, man. I, I just don't, um, you know, right now over the past year or two, I've really been getting back into music and, um, and, and I feel like um, one, I read a Derek Sivers book. I love Derek Sivers. He's a guy who founded CD baby. If you guys, um, 
uh, Noam. He wrote a book called Hell Yes or No. And and uh, in, in the book, he talks about um, if you can divorcing your art from your commerce. That it's really hard to make art if you are trying to pay the bills with it. And and it took me a long time to really internalize that. And I think that's kind of where I'm where I'm coming to now. Okay. Yeah, and that makes sense what you said about uh, why you got burned out in, um, because, yeah, that was, I mean, I got burned out just thinking about it. And I remember a couple times I, I wanted to do a series and I put a first book out in the series. One, I, I loved it and I'm, st- I'm still continuing, but I think I'm going to work at the rest of them with a publisher. Another one was just a vampire thing. I was like, I'll, I'll do my thing on it, my spin, but it'll be like this niche. I'll probably get... But dude, by the time I was done with that book, I was just like, I, I don't know if I'm going to write another in this series. Right. And I, it's just not, uh, I mean, more power to people who who uh, can mm. stick to that genre. I think that's why it's important to, um, you know, stick to a genre that, um, that that's making them money, but more importantly, that they start it with uh, something that they just are super passionate about and they just can't, you know, they don't want to write in anything else. And this is just a... But uh, so, yeah, I, I get that and I, I, I respect that. I'm glad that you have, at the very least, a, a back catalog that you can, you know, I don't know how much you bring in a month. You said it was, you know, kind of meager at this point. And I would assume so because there seems to be some kind of, and that was kind of one of my next questions was, um, without you putting, you know, so many books out a year, um, it, 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 I, there's got to be some difference in your... Um, you know, in your royalties per month with uh, through KDP, but I was just wondering if it was like lower than you expected, uh, higher than you expected, because I know that um, just something about you know putting a book out every two or three months gets people don't forget you know where you're like don't forget about me I got I got another one and I whether it's in um, a same series or not even with with me if I write this humorous crime noir thing and then I turn around and write this kind of splatterpunk thing it's still got my name on it so um you know where if i didn't put that second book out my my sales would you know start to slowly go down until they're just kind of plateau at a, at a certain level that i'm that i expect every month yeah i mean at this point i might sell a handful of fiction novels a month it's really not many uh most of my most of my royalties are coming from my nonfiction books and that's that's kind of a whole nother discussion, right? Because you know, nonfiction you can typically price higher. Uh, nonfiction is easier to market and to sell in many cases. Um, and I wrote most of my nonfiction after doing years of client work and coaching, so I knew exactly what problems people were having. I could then just turn around and write a book mm-hmm. addressing those. So um, as far as as far as writing process goes, for me. The nonfiction was a no-brainer, um, and it was like, yeah, okay, well, I, I love to write, and and I I love to write fiction, but like if I'm not feeling it right now, or I'm unsure where I want to go, I can still write nonfiction, still put it out under my name. I, I don't think the nonfiction helps my fiction sales at all, but mm-hmm. it certainly helps my bottom line. Okay, you seem to have pivot a lot in your career. How do you decide when to abandon something and try something else, or just kind of shift your angle? Uh, I, I guess I could credit my ADHD for that. I don't know. I I feel like I have undiagnosed ADHD. Uh, my brother and I both were like, yeah, if, if we were, you know, kids in the in the 
in the thousands instead of the seventies, we would have been on medication for sure. Um, yeah, I, I, but in all seriousness, part of it is like, I, um, I, I'm not very patient and that's not necessarily always a good thing, but like, if I don't, if I don't see, uh, a glimmer of hope, or if I don't see some, some sort of promising return on my investment, it's hard for me to keep it up. You know, I'm, uh, I'm good friends with Joanna Penn and we have conversations all the time and she'll joke around and be like, you know, if you had just stuck with the horror writers podcast, you know, you would have been, uh, you know, you have been producing eight years by now. I'm like, yeah, but like, I couldn't have done that. Like it wouldn't have been possible for me. Like I, I said what I wanted to say, you know, I wasn't interested in that in those particular topics anymore. So I don't, I don't have a really good way of, indicating or, or, or understanding when I need to pivot, but I, I like to follow new and emerging trends. Uh, I like to be out front. Um, I'm, I'm more of an early adopter, especially when it comes to technology. Uh, I'm not, a, I'm not a great follower. So I'd almost rather experiment and make mistakes than just try and like follow the worn path, which just isn't as exciting to me. Does that make it easier or more difficult to make a living? way more difficult. <laughs> you know, like if, if I, um, if I could have just identified a genre in, you know, in 2009 or even in 2019, and if I had just like consistently wrote in that genre, not even in the series, in the genre, like I, you know, like props to Zach, like you guys had Zach on, like, you know, I forget when empty bodies came out. Was it 2015, maybe 2016, something Somewhere like right that. There. I mean, he's been consistently writing, zombie fiction and and now he's got a really nice steady monthly income on on that back catalog and i you know i wish i could have done that like i don't regret it because i don't think i could have but he did and he's making it work for him and mm -hmm. uh you know i i just i don't know I, I i struggle to do that so part of part of the pivots is boredom part of it's wanting to be a trailblazer yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't even know if it's, it, it's maybe more disinterest than boredom. Like I, you know, I still love like writing post-apocalyptic fiction, um, but I'm just not as interested in it now as I was, you know, five or 10 years ago. Sounds sure. like you, you got out what you needed to get out. And sometimes you, you don't know how long that uh, well lasts. I, I remember when I put a Foster Homes and Flies out, I was like, cool, got my coming of age book out. And then I wrote, write like 10 more. You know, I don't know, you know, and that, that's not because, oh, people love coming of age. It was just like, man, I guess I have more of this kind of thing in me than I thought. Um, so, yeah, but if it's something else, I can see like what you were saying about the Horror Writers podcast. You said what you had to say. And then, you know, the, the well ran dry and it's time to move on. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I tell people all the time, like, I'm a terrible example. Don't listen to anything I say. <laughs> Don't take advice from me because <laughs> I do all the wrong stuff. Like, I, I think through sheer grit and determination, I just keep moving forward. But, like, I don't do what you're supposed to do. And I think you're right, Chad. Like, I, I saw this in music a lot before I started writing. Like, one of the bands I was in was, like, it was it was the band I would have been in if I could have, like, handpicked and designed it. You know that band? Like, yeah. the, like, the name and the logo and the sound and the people in it. It was, like, perfect. And after a few years, I felt, like... And a jerk, but like I had to go to the guys and be like, I'm done. And they're like, why? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm just done. Like, mm -hmm. I, you know what I mean? Like it didn't make any sense. Like on paper, it doesn't make any sense. And I'm not saying we were making a ton of money and, or that that would have been a reason, but like 
all everything lined up the way I wanted it to. And then I experienced it. And then at a certain point, I was like, all right, this is kind of over for me. Yeah. Hmm. Does that worry you now whenever you get like passionate about something new? Are you, do you ever question yourself and go, great, Jay, how long is this going to, you know? <laughs> you know, um, I, I think um, through years of therapy um, and, and making these mistakes, I think what I've learned to recognize is that instead of, instead of like wondering when I'm going to lose interest, I just go into everything knowing like I'm not going to do this forever. Yeah. Like, and, and, and I think a lot of people have the opposite approach. Like I think whether it's relationships or art or, or anything, people go in assuming nothing will ever change. This will always be the way it is. Mm -hmm. And I just go into things going like, I know this will end at some point and somehow. So I'm just going to enjoy every moment that I'm in it until it does end. Yeah. Where's your passion right now? My passion right now is, is, uh, helping other writers. Um, and, and it's music. I've really come back a lot to music over in, in the past couple of years. I know Chad and I have had many conversations about music and I know Chad's working on some stuff too, but you know, even like I, I started reading pet cemetery was the first book that I, that I read that I wasn't forced to read. And, and I, you know, that was probably around uh, 12, 13, maybe I was about 12, 13, maybe 14. I can't quite remember. Um, and that's where sort of my love of reading began my love of music started when I was like five or six. Like I, you know, yeah. I, I think for me, the music has always been my first passion and I really grew to love reading and writing. And, and I think I'm kind of coming back to that, that first passion. It doesn't mean I don't like writing anymore. I won't, but um, I'm really feeling an urge now to, to write, create, produce, record um, new music. And I don't really care what happened. Like, I don't care if no one listens to it. Like I, the process for me is very fulfilling right now. And I think that's, that's kind of where I am in this moment. So you don't know that you'll make money from it, but it's something you're interested in. Yeah. I'm not adverse to it, but I don't care if I do. Sure. How does your family handle, <laughs> handle this? <laughs> Jason's like, Oh wait, how are you still married? That's the yeah, question I, you're you asking. think that he's on his eighth wife. wife yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly, like I, I'm so opposite of you when I get on a track, I just grind on that. Oh, um, oh. You know, and then to, to a fault sometimes, sometimes I should, let projects go. Yeah. And I just keep yeah. going with it. Um, so I'm like so opposite, you know, I'm yeah. like on track strangely, for a year now and I'm like, I have just everything else blotted out. Yeah. Strangely enough for me. Um, and this is one of those, the, one of those weird things that where you have to like hold two conflicting ideas in your head at the same time and it, and it makes it hurt. But I like, I burn out on stuff or I get tired. I get disinterested in things, but it never happens with people or relationships. I'm fiercely loyal. Like I will, I will, uh, I have friends for like, I don't have many friends, but the friends I have, I have are friends I've had for a long time or they're friends who I could call up and be like, Hey, I got to hide a body. And they're like, what, where, and when do I need to meet you? Like that's, you know? And so it's, it's a bizarre thing. Like, um, I, I yeah, I, I don't know why, I don't know why it's different with people, but, um, friends, um, loved ones, you know, spouse, uh, for me, that's just completely different. I, I'm not that kind of friend, Jay, so don't call me. <laughs> <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> I was just going to say, he must be patient and forgiving if he's been dealing with you since 2014. Or <laughs> but Chad could call me about hiding the body, and I'd help him out. <laughs> <laughs> really noted. All right, all right. Um, 
I was going to ask also, are are we live from your bathroom? Because I see about a half a fish, <laughs> maybe a sun. <laughs> I'm in a, I'm in a co-working space. Uh, I, I recently, we sold our house uh, last year at, at the height of the boom. Uh, and uh, nice. And moved into an apartment because my, my eldest went to college and my youngest is only two more years of high school. And my wife and I were, were going to become digital nomads uh, when she leaves. So, uh, we ended up moving into an apartment, and the apartment is less than ideal for uh, creativity and for podcasting. So uh, I luckily have a great co-working space nearby, and so I often do a lot of my work here. You're running out about half a shower stall from the back. <laughs> 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 there, there are grizzlies on that wall and wolves howling at moons. You can't see the whole thing. Well, I'm glad you mentioned uh, running an office space to work out of. It's something I've thought of a lot just because the distractions from home can be difficult. Are, are you liking it? Yeah, I love it. Uh, I, I wish I would have done it sooner. Uh, I mean, from so I went full time in 2017 and up until uh, January of this year, I worked from home and I kind of went through the cycles. Um, I went through the phases of the work from home. Like at first, you know, you don't, you don't get dressed. You don't brush your teeth. You just kind of roll out of bed. And you're like, I'm at work. And then Wait, like, that's after a cycle. While, I've, I've been yeah. doing this for over, over 10 years now. Well, you know, for me, I got to a point where I was like, okay, I'm, I'm tired of looking at these same walls. And then um, more recently, my wife got a, a, a remote work position and the apartment's kind of small. So I would be, you know, at my desk, like writing something and she'd walk up and be like, did you defrost the chicken? And I'm like, all right, listen, <laughs> when, I'm, when I'm at this desk, like I, you can't interrupt me like that. Like, you know, you're in the zone. Yeah. Yeah. And like people who don't do creative work, don't get that. They're like, well, mm-hmm. I just asked you a question. I'm like, no, you just pulled me out and it's going to be like 30 minutes before I get back in. Yeah. So, so part of it was like uh, relationship management. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to move myself out to a co-working space. Um, you know, it's like a hundred bucks a month, which is not, a t- oh. it's not like a ton, That's but it's an, it's enough to make me like use it, you know? Um, And it's great. Like there are different breakout rooms. I occasionally get to see other people who aren't in my own family, which is good for me as a, as a hardcore introvert. It's good for me to occasionally talk to other humans in in real life. Um, And they've got free coffee. So it's like, it's a win all the way around. A hundred bucks a month. I could deal with that. Yeah. Yeah. It's not bad. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really convenient for me. It's, uh, it's, it's literally across the parking lot. Like I walk out of my apartment complex across the street and I'm here. So I don't even have to get in a car, which is another bonus. Oh, that's interesting. The way I deal with it is the, not the, uh, doorknob on my office is broken and I haven't fixed it. Um, and I think one of the reasons why I've been so lazy and haven't fixed it because I'm the only one who can, uh, open it from the other side because their fingers aren't strong enough. So they can't get in here. Uh, like my wife, she's like, my, my, my son can do it sometimes. And he'll knock and be like, dad. And I'll say, come on in. And I can hear him trying to, cause you got to grab the, just the thin metal thing and try yeah, to grip lot. it and turn it. <laughs> and he's like, and I'm, he'll, I'll hear him struggling. And I mess with him all the time. I was like, come in. And I, cause I know he can't, he can't get it. And then uh, I'll say, yeah, come in buddy. Come on in. And he just, he'll give up. He'll get frustrated and start laughing. But uh, yeah, it keeps them out. So all I got to do is shut that door. And it's like I got the, uh, it's like I got a lock on there. I, I should replace it. But 
It's probably a fire hazard somehow. <laughs> Sounds like it's working. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't I wouldn't mess with it. <laughs> <laughs> so when you decide to start a new project, do you research it a ton? Do you prepare or do you just kind of dive in and oh I'm starting my 37th podcast or whatever? Yeah, I guess it depends um on what type of project it is. Okay. I like is so, there a certain one, a, a example you might have. Uh, Chad was talking about before you joined uh, Authors on a Train. Oh, yeah. How the hell do you even, one, decide to do that? And then how do you <laughs> figure out how to do that? Yeah. Uh, that's that's one of those uh, uh, great examples of me wanting to do things that other people aren't doing or be on the, on the leading it's edge. It's a freaking killer idea, dude. It's a yeah. great idea. Yeah, and it, um, we're hoping to bring it back. The pandemic kind of killed it, um, and we're not we're not quite ready to bring it back yet. But but hopefully we will. Um, but that I mean I, the the original idea came because I was uh, doing a lot of train travel. I, I have inner ear issues, and and I sometimes I fly, but I try not to just because the air pressure change really. I get some severe pain, like you know, like if you can't pop your ears, you know mm-hmm. that feeling. Yeah. I just um, got that for the first time in April and it was brutal. Oh, it's awful. Yeah. But like yeah. my eye was going to pop out of my yeah, head. Yeah. It's like your head's like you got your head's full of air or something. Yeah. I don't know. It only but lasts uh, for the 45 minutes you're descending. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and for me, once I would land, it would take like overnight for, for the air pressure to dissipate and I'd just be uh-huh. in agony. So anyways, I, um, I was, I had to do a few West coast events for, uh, the job I was working at at the time. So I ended up taking, Amtrak from Cleveland to California, which was amazing. Like it was an amazing trip. Although that train just derailed this week, so maybe not so right now. But uh, uh, it was it was awesome. And I was uh, on Twitter, and I was um, I don't know why I was tweeting something about it. And Lindsey Broker replied and was like, "Oh, that sounds cool. I've never been on a train." And I don't know why I was just like, "Well, let's get on a train together and we'll write something." And she was like, "Okay." And I'm like, well, let's ask a couple other people. So I, I asked Zach and I asked Joanna Penn and they were both like, uh, yeah, okay. So just like that, just like an off the cuff kind of thing. I was like, all right. So we, we met in Chicago, uh, all four of us. We took the train to New Orleans. We plotted out a novella on the way down. We wrote it while we were there. We revised it when we came home. Anyways, long story short, the last night Zach and I are sitting there and I think we're having a bar, uh, a beer in the French Quarter or something. And I'm like, dude, you know, it'd be awesome. He's like, what? I was like, if we hosted this for other writers and I could see like his face just lit up, like, and even from like underneath the beard, I could see his face light. <laughs> and I, and I was like, all right, we're onto something here. He's like, yeah, that's kind of cool. So we just like started putting the word out. We're like, Hey, if we hosted, you know, eight to 10 authors, um, we're going to go to Chicago, New Orleans, you ride the train, blah, blah, blah. And that's kind of how it started. And um, and it was Joanna who was like, oh, yeah, you guys should totally do that. You should call it Authors on a Train. And that's how it began. So definitely not planning. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, and, and like I think I do that a lot. I, I, I commit to something and then I'll figure out how to do it. And like I did – I've been doing that my whole life and I know that makes a lot of people uncomfortable. But I will um, – I'll say yes to stuff that I don't know how to do, and then I'll go figure it out. And most of the time I do. Like, um, you know, there was – I was doing multi-author box sets in like 2012, and I had this idea. Like, I wanted to get Joe Conrath in on a box set. I thought, oh, man, it would be so cool to get Joe Conrath 
in on this. So I, uh, I went to Joe and I went to Glenn James and, and uh, T.W. Piper Brook and, uh, and J.R. Rain. I went to uh, oh, um, Scott Nicholson. Like I went to a lot of these like old school horror guys. And I was like, hey, I want to put this box set together. You guys give me one novel. I'll put it all together. We'll sell it. And then we'll split the royalties. Now, like 2012, this was kind of revolutionary. Like people weren't doing that in 2012. And uh, I was like, I'm going to see what they say. And like all of them said yes. And I was like, oh, shit. Now I got to figure <laughs> out how to do <laughs> how to do this. Like I got, I got like, you know, Conrad and Nicholson and, and, and GR Rain and these guys like are like, all right, let's, do, let's go. And I'm like, all right, I got to figure this out. So I, I kind of operate that way. I mean, I, you know, occasionally I get burned where I can't figure it out or it takes me longer. But most of the time, I, I usually come up with something. And you called yourself an introvert? This this feels very extroverted. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, this is this is the mistake. It's not. This is the misconception people have of introverts. So it's not we're like we're not shy or afraid to talk to people. It's just when we do, we need to recharge. So like I'm talking to you guys and then I have a session after you guys uh, that's an hour and then I'm going to go home and I won't get out of bed for 10 hours. <laughs> sure. No, right? my wife's the same way. Yeah. 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 So it's like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not um, at all afraid of, of talking to people or asking people for stuff or approaching people. I mean, that's how I met JD Barker. I just walked right up to him at Thriller Fest and I was like, Hey man, nice to meet you. Uh, love, love your stuff. Uh, let's, let's meet up. Let's, let's talk. And he's like, um, Okay. And that's, that's how the, that's how everything started with JD is I just approached him at Thriller Fest and introduced myself. Wow. I mean, that does work. If you're the, I, I do tell people, like, if you just go up and say hi, that goes a long way, but a lot of people it, yeah. just won't even do that. It does. And, 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 you know, honestly, I like when I met JD, I kind of had an idea. I'm like, this would be a cool dude to podcast with. I mean, I think Chad got that sense and, and, and you know, he mentioned it earlier, mm-hmm. but I, um, so, you know, we got together at the cocktail party and there were a lot of people surrounding him and I had to wait, <coughs> excuse me, wait in line to get to him. And I finally did. And we were talking and he was like, yeah, you know, I, I want to improve my public speaking when I go on book tours or, or, or I do paid talks. And I'm like, yeah, podcasting's great for that. Um, you know, you just show up. I'll do all the work. And he was like, yeah, OK, all right. And I'm like, so you want to do it? And he was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, he's like, I don't have the time. I'm like, all right. So I went home and like, I followed up with an email. Um, like, Hey, it was nice to meet you. You know, um, it just wondered you thought any more about the podcast. He's like, ah, not really. I'm like, okay. A couple weeks later, I think I sent him another email. I'm like, Hey, just wondering if you're still thinking about that podcast at all. And then he was like, you know, maybe. And that was all I needed. I just needed that little bit of maybe in there. And, you know, I eventually got him to do the podcast and here we are, you know, what, three years later. That's great. I, I enjoyed the podcast. You guys have a lot of um, authors that I wasn't, that I'm not familiar with. I like the interviews are great, but I really like the camaraderie uh, at the beginning. I, I look forward to that. And when it's like, okay, it's time for the interview. I was like, no, keep, keep talking. <laughs> It's so funny you mention that, Chad, because uh, in the feedback we get from the podcast, I, I hear two things um, repeatedly. I hear, oh, my God, I love the interviews. I, I, your interviews are amazing. And then I hear, I don't listen to the interviews. I just listen to you guys, yeah, <laughs> you yeah, guys yeah. in the beginning. And I'm like, to be honest, there, if, there, if I'm not familiar with somebody, I will oftentimes listen to the beginning of the interview because you usually started out with something 
almost like some kind of inside joke and then in in like you guys have been talking for years or something which i think is really cool and i appreciate but you know there yeah there have been times where i'm like okay i'm i'm done with you know listening to this for now because i i got to hear the beginning of it <laughs> yeah that's my uh, ridiculous opener i try and uh, i try and and uh break the ice yeah. yeah break the ice set the tone right yeah well, how many podcasts have you had um I don't know the exact count off the top of my head. I'm going to say between 12 and 15, possibly. Um, I know I've recorded – I know at some point at the end of last year, I uh, I had recorded my 1,000th episode uh, total wow. across all the shows. I, I don't know the exact number, but I I was like ballparking it based on the number of episodes I've written. And I was like, yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm over 1,000 at this point. Well, I'm glad you were never prescribed Adderall so that we can get all those podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it makes for entertaining listening, I think. <laughs> when um, did you get to a point where you could actually make money from a podcast, or have you? It feels like one of those things that you hear about, but you don't actually know anybody who really does it. Yeah, it's, I mean, we make a nickel or two here or there. Like, we, we cover some of the costs. You know, we have uh, – Kobo's been a great sponsor of ours for a number of years. We've, we've recently brought in uh, – uh, Dave Chesson's Atticus, uh, he's a Kindlepreneur guy, so th- they're a sponsor. You know, um, most of my most of the revenue that comes from the podcast is is indirect and it's hard to measure. Uh, like I, I'll give you an example. Almost every client um, I've worked with, almost every person I've coached, they first found me on a podcast. So I can't track that necessarily. Like that doesn't show up, you know, in a spreadsheet, but. Uh, I'm even in my community. I have a, I run an author community of a few hundred people, and almost every single person in there, if you ask them, how did you find, how did you meet or find out about Jay Thorne? It was a podcast. So, I, yeah, the takeaway from that is uh, don't don't expect to to get paid to podcast, but also if you if you're serving an audience and if you do it consistently and you show up, you will get some residual benefit from it. So be a, sure. po- be a podcast whore. Yeah, that too. <laughs> do you struggle if you've recorded a thousand episodes? Jesus, do you struggle with turning down interviews? I don't get. You- I don't get many. Yeah, I, I don't get many. Um, I, I don't know. I shouldn't say I don't get many. I don't know. I don't know how many many is. Uh, right. You know, I get. Um, I get asked to come on a podcast maybe once a month, twice a month. So I don't know if that's a lot. Like I, I almost always say yes, uh, just because I I know what it feels like trying to get guests on your podcast. So I almost always say yes, but I don't know if that's a lot or not. Hmm. Okay, I I was just curious because I I always say no (laughs) until (laughs) like a month ago. I was like, you know what? Some of these guys are struggling. Not that my name has any cachet, but now I've just started saying yes, and then I'm like, oh god, you know, and I go on and. People are like dancing and shit, and I'm like, "What? I don't understand what the joke is here." Oh like, wow, I don't, I don't, I don't go I've on this some, kind of podcast. I've had some weird ones. I've had some weird ones. I was like, I, I think I might be the butt of a joke, but I'm not sure. <laughs> go ahead, Chad. Do you have any? Yeah, yeah. I wanted to ask Jay since you've had your, uh, you know, basically your finger on the pulse of Amazon. I was wondering if what what has been since you've been, uh, you know, self publishing. What has been the most alarming change that you've seen? in how Amazon works with authors and do you see things getting And this is like a two-parter. So that, and do you think see things getting better or worse for uh, indie authors? 
AMS ads and worse. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, when, when I first started publishing, uh, there were what was called the also bots. Now I know they mm-hmm. still exist, yeah. but it's all you had were the also bots, right? So if you, if you networked, if you did some cross promotion, if you did a list swap with another author in your genre, you, you could really promote your book and you could really get the algorithm to share your book with other readers of your genre just because of the people who, who bought it. Mm-hmm. I don't have any sort of hard data on this, but I think it's pretty safe to say that we are now 100% into pay-to-play mode. Mm-hmm. That unless you are paying Amazon to place your ad, to place your book in, this, in, the, in the sponsored row of search results, it's not going to be found by anybody. Mm-hmm. Now, if you if you have an audience that you can send to Amazon, great. That doesn't affect you. Ninety nine percent of us like really need those sort of organic sales. Uh, and I'm not trying to be pessimistic or, or a doomsayer here, but like this is the reality of it. Like if you go on Amazon now, even if you go to the Kindle section or the book section, you do a search. The first what five, six, seven? They're all ads. Yeah. I mean, even if you search for your. <laughs> Like if you search for a very spe- like specific author, the first search results are not even that author. Yeah. They're like the highest bidder of the ad. Mm-hmm. I think that's awful. I think it's yeah. absolutely terrible. And uh, you know, I, I think part of part of me, like even my back catalog that doesn't move a lot, I've really moved away from from KDP Select or KU as as a lot of authors call it, because I don't I don't want Amazon to have all that juice, like uh, it, it, it's not fair. And like, if, and if we're still 2012 or 2013, where you could get organic algorithmic juice going, like that'd be different. Mm-hmm. But the whole pay to play model is, is just disgusting to me. And, and I know, like, I know if you have a brick and mortar store, like advertising is part of your budget, right? Like if you're in any other industry, you have to advertise in a certain way, but I feel like Amazon is just, is just dr- is just draining the blood out of authors and, mm-hmm. and their policies don't reflect the respect for the authors either. Um, I hope you guys aren't, aren't trying to get Amazon as a sponsor for your podcast. No, no, no. <laughs> no, 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 no okay. never all right. All right. Good. Um, because like, you know, you look at like the, the, the return policies on eBooks, right? Like there's a big kerfluffle about that right yeah. now. That's just like the fact that you can buy an eBook, you can read the whole thing and then return it completely. Mm-hmm. Like, that's just wrong. Like that's just yeah. wrong on so many levels. And it just shows that Amazon doesn't really have respect for the authors. Well, not only that, I think what gives me the most as far as like <clears throat> disrespect is um, I, I have a friend who I, I've got a lot of friends who are like, you know, I'm sure we all do. We've got a, a ton of friends who are like, yeah, I want to write a book one day or I'm going to write a book or what, you know, well, this one finally did. He wrote, he wrote a book. He, he paid for a cover um, he, he picked my brain for all kinds of stuff. Uh, I, I, I tried to, you know, help hold his hand a little bit through the upload and all that, all that kind of thing. I didn't do like editing or any of that kind of stuff for him, but, uh, he put it up very happy. It was up for two or three months, never sold anything. I didn't give it any kind of like, I, I don't think any advice on like, we didn't talk Amazon ads or any of that kind of stuff. But I told him, you're probably not going to sell anything. It's, you know, it's just sitting there with, you know, a gazillion other ones. Um, then he sends me a message the other day. Amazon shut his account down. Um, and he wanted to know what that was about. And I was like, well, I'm going to tell you right now, you're in for a headache. I said, if I were you, I would not email them. I would call them if you can get them on the phone. Um, because the response that you get back from them is just going to be, you know, robotic. 
essentially. They're not going to tell you anything. So he did call someone, uh, talked to him for a while, and then they made it clear that everything he had to do from here on out would be have to be through email. And he forwarded me the email, and it essentially said what so many, uh, uh, he, you know, here is, and it would be, oh, gosh, it would it crush me to get this email where, you know, you're done, basically, essentially. You're, you're done here. We're not going to tell you why. And that the fact that they've done that, I have had, um, I think I've talked about it on the show, but I had some no content books that had uh, original artwork that I had done. Um, but because of the intellectual properties that I used, because I don't understand how that, I know that every shop everywhere has, are using other people's intellectual properties to sell t-shirts and posters and stickers and I was doing that with the no content stuff. Some of it was truly original, like my wife's artwork or my artwork. But some of it was, you know, like a dude from Clockwork Orange or something from Twin, Twin Peaks. And they finally caught on to that and I got my account suspended. And they wanted me to do some stuff that I could only do if it wasn't suspended, which would be like, take them down, take them, get unpublish them. Well, I couldn't. So I'd send them emails and and then and I'd be like, hey, I'd love to cooperate and do this, but I need to um, be able to get in there to you know verify. And and they're just they just send the same email back back and back you know to me. So I end up having to email somebody else and call. And it's just that kind of thing. They will they in the last email they basically said, you know, don't get homeless anymore. You're done here. We're not going to tell you why. And he he didn't he can't figure it out. This was all brand new to him. As far as he knows, he did everything by the book. And I don't know what to tell him either. I gave him some suggestions. Did you do this or this? You know, do you have that book uploaded in a different title? That, you know, or, or something like that. I mean, you wrote the book, right? It's not you didn't plagiarize anybody. You he paid for the cover, so I don't know what to tell him. And that is what bothers me real bad about Amazon that they can do that. And you know what, Chad? Like that's not a rare thing, right? No. Like most people, most of us who publish on Amazon, that'll never happen to, Mm -hmm. but it's happening to some people and it's real. And like, um, like imagine like, that's very unfortunate, right? But your friend can probably start over and maybe it's not a huge deal. Yeah. Right. But what, what if you're like, you know, what if you're supporting your family and and what if Mm -hmm. you're making, you know, 10 grand a month through, through KDP and you get one of those emails Mm-hmm. You're screwed, right? Yeah. And you have no explanation. You have no recourse. And I get it. Like it's their, it's their playground, and they can close it if they want. Mm-hmm. But like, you just have to acknowledge that. Like, you, I think you're playing a risky game if you don't diversify your revenue streams. And I mean that both in in the micro and in the macro sense. Like in in, in the micro sense, you need to be publishing everywhere. Um, Kobo and draft to digital and, and, and Apple and, and, and Amazon. And in the macro sense, I wouldn't just rely on publishing. Like, you know, if you're, yeah. if you're writing books, like uh, I know you're, you, you're doing a lot with covers, like, you know, mm-hmm. you're designing covers for people. Like the more, the more little streams you have, you're not as, you're not as, as vulnerable um, if, if one of those go down. And I think we, we tend to forget that, the reason many of us have become full-time creators or entrepreneurs is because we didn't want to rely on a boss or a single source of income because we were too vulnerable. So if you if you leave that scenario and then you go and you put everything into Amazon KDP, you just traded bosses. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I, I've twice now I've I've tried to go wide and I just I don't sell anything. 
I know that uh, you're supposed to be patient and whatnot, but yeah, I just so I. You know, I, I think when it, most people go wide, though, they don't advertise at those locations. You know, they just put their books up on Kobo, and they're like, "Why well, I didn't sell?" It's like, "Well, yeah, yeah but you gotta, you gotta find people." But that's the hard part, and yeah. that's why a lot of people. I understand why people go. I've been thinking about going back into KDP, and I've been out of it for probably eight years, just because I don't have time to figure out how to advertise on Apple and Google and Kobo and Barnes and Noble and Amazon. Mm-hmm. So it's t- it's a tough thing. I, I understand why people constantly are back and forth. Yeah, I, I don't blame them. I mean, you start you start getting that page read money, and you're like, yep. this is nice, you know. Like you essentially, when you publish to Amazon, you're you're getting a twofer, right? You're getting into their regular store, and you're or- earning royalties, and then you're getting into the KU store, and you're earning page reads, and that stuff starts adding up, and it's really hard to turn that that money faucet off and be like, okay, now I'm going to take the moral high ground and go wide. Like I got bills to pay, you know? So I, I totally get it. Like it's, it's not an, it's not easy to navigate. And I think Amazon has set it up that way. Like they're, uh, you know, they're throwing out those little dime bags of page reads and they know they got you hooked. Mm-hmm. They're good at running their business. That is for yes. damn sure. <laughs> Chad, anything else before we get out of here? No, you want to toss, do well, you want to toss your two? I mean, well, I, going to modify a little bit. You basically yeah. just said diversify your income streams. That seems like a really good piece of advice. What have you done that you feel like was just a complete waste of your time and you recommend no one do? Whether it even has to do with your fiction career or any of your 87 other things you're doing at the moment. Facebook ads. <laughs> okay. I thought it's that weird. was a waste of my time. It, it's, it's one of those things, though, that's like some people swear by it. And it's like, well, how? What did you do? Well, well, so I'll, I'll, I'll clarify. I shouldn't have been doing the Facebook ads. Like yeah. I, I might hire someone who knows what they're doing to do right. them, but me personally doing them was a total waste of time. Right. I haven't done Facebook ads in a couple of years now, but it felt like doing calculus, trying to figure out how to use the platform. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a casino, man. The house is going to win. You know, like you're just throwing money down at their table. All right. Jay, it's been great talking to you. Glad I got to meet you. <laughs> yes. Likewise, fellas. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, thanks for hanging out, buddy.